Hi there, welcome to Stories That Made Us. In this episode, we explore the creation myths of two Native American tribes, the Arikara and the Arapaho. The Arikara are semi-sedentary agricultural people of North America. They are also known as Sarnish or Hindi and are a tribe of Native Americans who've traditionally lived in North Dakota. The peoples of this tribe speak a Caddoan language, quite similar to the Skidi Pawnee tribe, with whom the Arikara were once closely associated. After many conflicts with other tribes and several major migrations, the Arikara settled with the Mandans and other Native Americans in South Dakota and Kansas. It is said that the term Arikara comes from the word Ariki, which means horns. This is their tale of our origin. A long time ago, giants lived on Earth. They were huge and strong so much so that they were not afraid of anything. In the beginning, they worshipped gods of the four directions. They lit bonfires and offered smoke to the deities. But with passing time, the giants became haughty and arrogant. They thought themselves to be powerful and mighty and at par with gods. Eventually, they stopped worshipping all gods. Nishanu Nachitak, the chief above, is the great spirit who created the world. He is the one who ruled the heavens and made the earth and all its inhabitants. Nishanu looked down on the giants and was angry at their subordination. His voice boomed loud over the earth as he in anger exclaimed, I made you giants too strong. It was a wrong that must be righted, for with your great strength came hubris, and with hubris came your lack of respect for us gods. You think of yourselves to be similar to us. You think yourselves to be gods. For your transgressions, I will destroy you. Nishanu then brought about a great deluge, covering the entire earth with water. While the deity was doing this, he noticed the normal people. These were people like you and me. He took pity on them, for they prayed and worshipped the gods every day, bringing offerings and incense. Nishanu thus sent the animals to lead these ordinary humans into an underground cave, one that was so large that the animals and people could live together inside it. Nishanu then sealed up the cave and flooded the earth with water, thus drowning all giants. To remind himself that people and animals were all underground, and waiting to be released after the flood, Nishanu planted a corn tree in the sky. When the corn plant ripened, Chief Above took a corn ear and turned it into a woman. She became the mother corn. When the mother corn was thus born, 
Nishanu instructed the goddess. You must go down to the earth. Bring my people and animals from the underground. Lead them back to the surface and to light. Bring them to the place where the sun sets, for their home shall be in the west. Mother Corn went down to earth, seeking out the underground cave where the people and the animals resided. She, however, was lost. She asked Nishanu for guidance. Chief above sent thunder, which boomed in the east. Mother Corn followed the sound into the cave where the remainder of the creation waited. She went down and reached men and animals. But the entrance to the cave was closed upon her entry. She and the rest could find no way back to the earth. No matter how much Mother Corn or the men tried, an alternative way could not be found. Exasperated, the goddess cried. We must leave this place, this darkness, she said. For that is the will of Nishanu. There is light above the ground. And I am to lead you there. Who will help me take my people out of the earth? She asked. The badger was the first to come forward. Mother Corn, I will help, said the little animal. The mole also stood up and said, I'll help the badger dig through the ceiling above, so that we may see the light. Then the long-nosed mouse also said, I too will help the badger and the mole to dig. The badger thus began to dig upwards. After a while, the animal fell back, exhausted. Mother Corn, I'm very tired, it said. Then the mole dug until it could dig no more. The long-nosed mouse took the mole's place, and when he became tired, the badger began to dig again. The three took turns until at last, the long-nosed mouse thrust his nose through the ground and could see a little light. The mouse went back and said, Mother Corn, I ran my nose through the earth until I saw light, but the digging has made my nose small and pointed. Mother Corn looked at the mouse and said, Indeed, your nose has become small. But do not fret, little creature. After this, all the people will know you by looking at your nose, and they will know that it was you who dug through the earth first. The mole now went up to the hole and dug all the way through. By the time the mole went up, the sun had risen from the east. But it was so bright that it blinded the mole. The poor animal ran back, stumbling and falling. It ran all the way to the goddess and said, Mother Corn, I've been blinded by the brightness of that sun. I do not think I can live above the ground. I must reside here, under the earth. The goddess heard the mole's laments and asked Nishanu for advice. Upon guidance from Chief Above, Mother Corn thus said, Your wish is granted, little animal. 
It is thus ordained that from this time onwards, all the moles will be blind, so they cannot see in the daylight. You may, however, see at night and in the dark. You will all live under the ground and make this your home. The badger then went up and made the hole larger so the people could pass through. When he crawled outside, the badger closed his eyes, but the rays of the sun struck him and blackened his legs. It also made a streak of black upon his face. He too went back down, running towards the deity, and said, Mother Corn, I have received these black marks upon me. I wish to remain this way so that people will remember that I was one of those who helped to get us all out. Very well, said Mother Corn, granting the badger's wish. The goddess then led the way out. All people and animals emerged from darkness and into light. Once they had all climbed through the hole, Mother Corn said, My people, I've been instructed by Nishanu to lead you west, for that is the land which you shall claim as home. So begins our journey westward. She then turned to the animals and said, the mole and the badger choose to remain underground. You animals may choose to either burrow back into the earth or come with me to the west. Many animals chose to remain underground for this realm they knew. Others followed the goddess west. And so it was that the remaining animals and peoples followed Mother Corn westward. They travelled through the plains and walked until they could see a mountainous country rising up in front of them. There they came to a deep canyon, one that was too treacherous to cross. Mother Corn then asked her followers, is there anyone here who could guide us across the ravine? Is there anyone who could help? A blue kingfisher flew up from the crowd. The bird flew to Mother Corn and said, I'll be the one to point out the way for you. The happy goddess then instructed all creatures to follow the bird. The kingfisher flew to the other side of the canyon and with its beak, it pecked repeatedly into the sides of the ravine until the earth fell into the chasm, thus covering it. The bird then flew back and pecked at the other bank until enough earth fell to form a bridge. All people and animals witnessed this act and cried out their thanks. The kingfisher then flew above all and chirped loudly. Those who wish to cross the ravine may walk across the bridge, but those who choose to remain here may join me. We'll make our homes in these cliffs. Some animals and birds chose to stay there and call it their home. Others continued on with mother corn. As they walked westward, 
they came across another impediment. This time, it was a dark forest. The trees blocked any sunlight from reaching the ground and were so tall they seemed to touch the clouds. There were poisonous plants and bushes on the uneven and muddy duff. Mother Corn turned to her followers again and asked for assistance. Much like the Kingfisher before, an owl flew up and came to the goddess. I'll show the way to our people through this forest, it said. The bird then flew up through the trees. It waved at wings, flapping eagerly. As the owl fluttered its wings, the trees parted, making a path through the dark forest. The owl then came back to Mother Corn and said, I'll make this forest my home. Any who wish to remain with me may do so. We will live in the forest forever. Again, many animals chose to stay in the woods with the owl. These are the animals that we see when we go to the forests today. The rest continued westward with the goddess. As the retinue followed Mother Corn, they came to a deep and wide lake. This lake seemed impossible to cross for there was water as far as the eye could see. There was no land to aid the crossing. The people and animals, in utter despondence, spoke of turning back. Mother Corn, however, was adamant to proceed. Nishanu has instructed me to lead you west, she insisted. And that is what I shall do, so help me, chief above. Upon hearing this, a water bird rose from the crowd. This bird had a black head and a checkered back. It came to Mother Corn and said, I am the loon. Let me try to make a path through the water. Mother Corn looked at the loon gratefully and said, Make a pathway for us, dear bird, and some of the animals and birds will remain with you here. The water bird then dived into the lake. It moved so swiftly that it parted the water. When the bird came out on the other side, it left a pathway behind. Mother Corn led the people across to the other side. Much like with the kingfisher and the owl, many stayed back with the loon and built their homes in the lake. Others journeyed on westward with the deity. At last, their journey had come to an end. They found a lovely place by the river. Mother Corn turned around and told her followers, This is where your village will be. You will have my corn to plant. It shall serve to be your food. The animals and birds who have followed us will be domesticated. You are to take care of them, for they will help you prosper. People followed her advice and built a village. They planted the corn and flourished. Mother Corn, meanwhile, was happy to complete her task.
she retired back to the upper world where she lived with Nishanu. People were thus left to their own devices. There were no rules or laws to govern the society back then, nor were there chiefs or shamans to guide and advise. Before long, there was anarchy. People spent all their time playing games. They fashioned all sorts of sports and competed against one another. Sooner than later, the sports got so competitive that those who lost began to murder the winners. Lynchings and killings were rife in the village. Before long, society disintegrated into war bands, fighting, maiming and killing one another. Nishanu was concerned by humanity's disintegration. He thought to wipe out mankind with a flood as he did with the giants. Mother Corn, however, had grown to love our ancestors. She talked Chief Above out of the plan to decimate life again. We should guide them, she said, for these people are good at heart. They are misguided for they have none to shepherd them to righteousness. Nishanu heard the pleas of Mother Corn and was placated. The two deities decided to descend on Earth to show mankind how to live a good life. Nishanu taught humanity how to choose a chief through tests of bravery and wisdom. While Mother Corn taught us songs and ceremonies to be used for healing and magic. Nishanu then tested the people and found a chief among them. The god gave the first chief his own name, thus calling him Nishanu. Mother Corn, meanwhile, chose the first shaman. He became the first diviner and medicine man. She showed the shamans how to make incense sticks for offering smoke to the gods of the four directions. Once all this was done, and society was organized through social, political and spiritual guides, Nishanu walked towards the setting sun. Mother Corn followed the chief above, and all people followed her, much like they had done before. They crossed the plains and rivers and came upon a new country. Here, Nishanu planted roots and herbs for the shaman. He commanded people to build their villages in here by the river. The white men call this river the Republican River, and they call the land Kansas. After people built their village, Mother Corn reminded them to offer smoke to the gods in the heavens and to all animal gods. She reminded them of the giants and warned all not to waver from worship. While they were doing this, a dog ran into the village, wailing and wagging its tail. The hound ran all the way to Mother Corn and accused her of wrongdoing. You left me behind, howled the dog. The sun god found me alone and lost. He took pity on me and showed me the way to this village. He is, however, 
very upset with you and the people for leaving me behind. He intends to send whirlwinds to scatter all people away from this village. Mother Corn was worried and thought of ways to appease the sun god. She first instructed the villagers to light incense and pray to the god so he may rescind the whirlwind. But alas, it was to no avail. No prayers or ceremonies would placate the deity. The goddess then called on the dog to help appease the sun god. The hound at first was very reluctant, for he knew that the only way to pacify the sun god was to forsake his own freedom. He sighed and said, I would have to leave my brothers, the wolf and the coyote, and live with and be dependent on the people. For if I choose to live in the village, the god shall not seek to ruin it. Eventually, the day came when the whirlwind was upon them. It came swirling and roaring across the land and headed straight for the village. The dog, though, had made up its mind. As the wind came, the animal stood between gusts and the village. The hound then said aloud, These people are my friends. I will always remain with them. I shall be a guardian to all their belongings. Please spare the people, for if you do destroy them, then you destroy my friends and livelihood. This placated the sun god, who promptly called the whirlwind off. After the wind died down, Mother Corn said to the people, Always remember to placate the gods. Don't forget to give them smoke and pray to them. Do this so you don't suffer the same fate as the giants. After mankind agreed to this, she commanded them to replant her corn seeds in this new land. She then said to all, I shall turn into a cedar tree to remind you that I am Mother Corn, the one who gave you your food. It was I, Mother Corn, who brought you from the east. I must become a cedar tree to be with you. On the right side of the tree will be placed a stone to remind you of Nishani, he who brought order and wisdom to the people. The next morning, a cedar tree, full-grown and upright, stood in front of the lodges of the people. Beside it was a large boulder, too big to be removed by men. People knew that Mother Khan and Nishanu would watch over them forever. This ends the creation tale of the Arikara. The next story is of the Arapaho. These people have historically lived in Wyoming and Colorado in the United States. Arapaho is a name that was given to the tribe by the Europeans. The natives refer to their own selves as Hinono Eina or Inun Ina, our people or people of our kind. 
The Arapaho had extensive trade relations with many other tribes, especially the Lakota, Caddo, Wichita, and Comanche. This is their story. The world was just water as far as the eyes could see. On this water walked a spirit. He walked holding a flat pipe flute in his hands. This spirit wandered for days and nights. One time, his thoughts turned to his flute. The spirit wished nothing more than to preserve his flat pipe. He exclaimed to himself, Here I am, alone with my flute. What can I do to preserve it for eternity? For it is my sole companion. After many days spent pondering upon this problem, he had an epiphany. I wish that there would be a land where I could keep my holy flute. I wish there to be people and animals who would care for and preserve it for all posterity. Yes, land is desirable for the flute's preservation. For upon land will live these friends of mine. This is where they would take care of the flat pie. There must be earth with inhabitants, creatures of every description. There must be life for my flat pipe to be preserved, he exclaimed. That night, he again walked in deep thought. The water was calm and there blew a gentle breeze. The next day, he came to a resting place. There, the spirit suddenly exclaimed, Let's see if we can find earth. Let's see if this can be done. He then blew on his flat pipe flute, producing a serene melody. As the spirit played the pipe, the music that emanated created many birds and reptiles. Coughing a little to clear his throat, the spirit proclaimed in a loud, booming voice, Hear, hear! Come, all you creatures! Come to search for earth! He then played his flute again. The waters shivered as his music echoed and reverberated to all parts of the world. May they come with great blessing and peace and goodwill, said the spirit as he sat down and waited for a response to his call. Now while the spirit waited, he wondered where the birds and reptiles would sit. He pointed at the water and said, Let there be seven cottonwood trees. At his command, there grew seven healthy trees, standing upright and majestic. Meanwhile, his call had been answered by birds and reptiles of all kinds. From every corner of the world came forth birds chirping songs and reptiles hissing praises. The birds settled on the branches of the cottonwood trees. The reptiles, of course, made the bark their home. Now listen to me, dear friends, said the spirit. 
You have been willed to this world by my flat pipe flute. You were then dispersed, for it is possible that you may have found land on your journey to me. I am unable to find it, nor have I any idea of its whereabouts. So please tell me where to find land, said he, addressing the birds and the reptiles alike. After a brief silence, a voice was heard. I think I know exactly where it is, for I've heard about it, hissed the turtle. The reptile then proceeded to tell the gathering of rumours suggesting that land is under the water. The spirit beamed with joy upon hearing this. Now, listen to me. Who can dive in the water and search for its bottom? I am sure some of you can accomplish this, he said, scanning the crowd. A turnstone bird answered the spirit's call. I'll dive first and reach the bottom, said the bird. Not to be outdone, another turnstone bird snorted. Huh, I can do a better job than you. It said, You both will dive, interjected the spirit. When the two birds agreed, the spirit spoke further. You may all know that these two turnstones will now dive to the bottom of the ocean. They do this for our benefit. All creatures stood anxiously, waiting to see the results. So the birds straightened their heads, fluttered their wings and dived. The rest who had gathered were delighted and were confident of the birds' success. All waited a long time for the birds to resurface. The next day, just after the dawn, appeared the two turnstones, panting and desperately seeking air. I cannot find any trace of earth. It is quite deep and we could not go farther, said the despondent birds. The spirit was demoralized. He gripped his flat pipe tightly and played a melodious tune, one that healed the two birds and lifted the gloomy mood in the camp. He then reiterated the importance of this task and there was quite a dispute among the birds and the reptiles for another messenger. Two water birds then volunteered to dive next. They stood proud before their spirit, for it was their turn to accomplish this great task. Driven by well wishes and prayers from all, the two birds dived into the deep water in search of the bottom. For two days, the young birds were gone. Just after the sunrise on the third day, they came up, floating to the surface. We cannot see any signs of land. The water is very deep, rasped the birds. Many others ventured to undertake the perilous but prestigious task, but none succeeded. Deeply discouraged and despondent, the spirit called a meeting of all. 
After a long talk, the turtle said to the spirit in secret, Can I make an attempt alone? Hush! I want all of them to search for it, replied the spirit. He then turned around and said to all, Well, since we have failed to find soil, I think on behalf of my pipe and for ourselves, you should all dive to find the earth. All of you should come forward and dive to find the nadir, he said. So all got ready. They did so with much delight, for each expressed a desire to accomplish the task. For the welfare and prosperity of my flute, I pray that you seek diligently for land. I will await the results, remarked the spirit. The turtle will remain here with me for company, he added. Thus dived all creatures, leaving the spirit and the turtle behind. However, all returned without success. Upon hearing this, the spirit remorsefully said, Since you have all failed to find land, I and the turtle will dive next. Stay here and wait for our return. On the seventh day, we will appear from under the water. Watch out for us and pray that we may succeed. So the spirit took his flat pipe carefully and touched it first to his left shoulder, then to the right, then back again to the left and again to the right, and lastly to his breast. Miraculously, the flat pipe attached to his body. Slowly, the spirit transmogrified into a red-head duck. He then turned to the turtle and said, Now, partner, get ready. Come with me. And so dived the spirit and the turtle in search of land. Others waited patiently for their return. When the seventh day came, they all waited eagerly and anxiously for the two. When the sun was about to set on the seventh day, they saw the red-haired duck emerge from water. All waited for the turtle while the duck transformed back to the spirit. After a while, the turtle was spotted swimming towards the crowd. On their arrival, there was great rejoicing and thanksgiving. After all, the spirit and the turtle had found earth. The spirit then took the mud and placed it over his flat pipe. He played one tune after the other until the mud dried out. He then turned north. He placed a bit of the earth on his palm and began playing mystical melodies on his pipe. Lo and behold, the land stretched out from this tiny ball of mud, land that was clean and vast. The spirit repeated this in all four directions, playing tunes with his flat pipe each time to make land grow. Once this was done, 
he sat down on the dry land, carefully laying down his pipe on the side. He then asked all the animals to come forth upon this land and fill it with life and beauty. All rejoiced as they sought shelter and solace upon land. The spirit then began playing his flute again, and from it came forth all sorts of new land-dwelling animals. It took a long time for the spirit to complete his creation. He first created plants and animals, and then the humans. Now, said the spirit, I am quite finished with my work. So he took the feather of an eagle, and with it fashioned rivers and mountains. After this, there were beautiful landscapes and fertile valleys. He made verdant green trees and shrubs, and clothed the earth with an abundance of grass. After he saw what he had made, he was much pleased with the appearance. He bequeathed this land to humans and animals upon the condition that the flat pipe flute may be preserved and worshipped for all eternity. To the Arapaho, this flat pipe is revered and is holy. It is an embodiment of the spirit, the one who found earth and created life. That concludes this episode. Hope you enjoyed the tales of the Arikara and the Arapaho. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. Your words go a long way in helping the podcast be discovered by others. Follow us on Twitter at StoriesTHTMDEUS. That's at StoriesTHTMDEUS for details on next episodes and snippets of folklore from around the world. I'll see you next week. Until then, goodbye.